Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Today we're going to be continuing our series that we started a couple of weeks ago. And it's a series that's called Pursuit. It's the pursuit of who we are as a church. It's the pursuit of the mission that we have for our church. It's really the pursuit of God in so many ways. And I really love this word pursuit because to me what the word pursuit indicates is that it's not just something that we do because, well, we think it's a good idea. We don't pursue something just because we think we're supposed to do it. The reason that we pursue something in true pursuit is because we realize the value and the significance of what we're going after. We said that pursuit is something that is intentional. It's not something that we do accidentally. It's not something that we do as an afterthought. Pursuit is something that we do with perseverance. If we're truly going after something, it doesn't matter if there are obstacles standing in our way. It doesn't matter if there are people who are speaking against it. If we know what we're going after, if we know that it really matters, we are going to go after it with intentionality and with perseverance. You see, pursuit is something that really matters. And and when we talk about our relationship with God, this is the kind of terminology that we should be thinking about. I'm going after God with everything that I am. When we sing the song, you are worthy of it all, we are saying, God, you are the one, the only one that is worthy of everything I have to give. And because of that, I am going to model my life after behaviors that show and and actually put into action that I mean what I say, that you are the one, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Our pursuit as individuals and our pursuit as a church, it matters. Because there's a world around us who are in pursuit of very many things that are not going to last, that are not going to bring true happiness, that are not going to bring true fulfillment, and we need to be the ones that have the answer. We need to be the ones who actually live lives that put on display what it is to trust in Jesus. Who put on display what it is to go to God in difficult times. Who display what it is that when we don't have the answers, we don't just simply try to figure it out on our own, but we go in pursuit of the God who actually has the power who actually has the love, who actually has the grace, who has everything that we need. You see, our pursuit, it really, really matters. And this is especially true when we remember these words, that you have something on your life that somebody else needs. That God has placed something on your life No matter where you've come from, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what stage of life you're in right now, no matter what the circumstances around you might look like, there is something that God has put on your life that someone else is in need of. We need to be in pursuit of God, and we need to be in pursuit of what God is in pursuit of. So this is the first thing that I want to look at here today. This is the question that I want to answer. What is God in pursuit of? 
There's a verse that we know very, very well. And I would guess and, and maybe bet that most of us in this room could quote it just by saying the reference right now. John 3.16. For God so loved the world... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The, the word here that he uses is the world. I would say that the world is a pretty inclusive statement. Wouldn't you? The world means Everybody. The world means those that love God, those that hate God, those that know God, those that have never heard the name of God or the name of Jesus. It means every person that has ever walked on the face of the earth that God so loved them that he gave everything to be reunited with them, to be reunited with humanity. For God so loved the world. You see, when we talk about what God is in pursuit of, we need to talk about who God is in pursuit of. And who God is in pursuit of is people. God is in pursuit of people, all people, his people, and even those who haven't come to know him yet. God is in pursuit of people. We have to remember this because once again, so often in life, we get distracted by so many things and we go in pursuit of so many things that are going to bring us happiness, that are going to bring us comfort, that are going to bring us significance, that sometimes we lose sight of the fact that God is in pursuit of people. Hopefully we've experienced this in our life. I would say by virtue of you being here this morning, you have experienced this in your life. See, David remembers this in Psalm chapter 139, verses 7 through 8. He says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. David understood that God was in pursuit. That in the high places, in the low places... In the easy places and in the difficult places, where can I go that you're not going to be there? Where can I go that you are not in pursuit of me? You see, God is in pursuit. We have to understand that this nature of God is so true throughout the scripture. Sometimes we look at the harsh parts and we look at the judgment parts. And and it's, it's true that we have to look at the Bible in its entirety. But we have to understand that God as Father is a God of love. He's a God that is in pursuit of his people. The reason why we are here today is because God was pursuing us and we recognized that pursuit and we responded to it. Romans says that God first loved us. He first loved us. Romans chapter 3 verse 25 says that God in his divine forbearance, knowing that we would be separated from him, made a way through Jesus. That means before we ever even took our first breath, God was in pursuit of us. Before God even created man, it says that Jesus was was crucified before the foundations of the world. God has always been in pursuit of us, even before we could ever screw it up. We have to understand who God is in order to understand his pursuit. God is in pursuit of people. See, when we go back to the the book of Genesis and we see Adam and Eve making that first decision, 
Eve taking the fruit, Adam eating the fruit, what did they do? They instantly hid themselves. They covered themselves over. They recognized they were naked. They hid themselves away. And then we see in in chapter 3, verse 9, that God says, where are you? Adam, where are you? You see, it's not that God didn't know where man was. It's not that he didn't know where Adam and Eve was, but he was saying, where are you? The one that I am in pursuit of, the one that I I yearn to be with, the one that I desire to walk in relationship, where have you gone? I know where you are physically, but, but what has happened to make this disconnection? Because he was in pursuit of Adam and Eve. He was in pursuit of man. But what Adam and Eve did was they hid themselves away. When we look at the world right now that doesn't know Jesus, we have to understand that what they are doing is they are simply hiding themselves away from God. They recognize their shame. They recognize their failure. They recognize their faults. They've experienced things in life. And so now they've hidden themselves away from God. But that doesn't change for one minute that God is still in pursuit of people. Even though people are hiding, God is still seeking. Even though people have have hidden themselves away and covered themselves over because of their shortcomings and their failures and their pursuit of so many other things, God is still seeking after them. He's still asking the question, where have you gone? We have to understand this because what our responsibility is as believers in Jesus it's to be in pursuit of what he is in pursuit of. And if, in, if he is in pursuit of people, then we need to be in pursuit of people. We need to recognize that there are men and women who are hiding from God, but that we carry something to bring them the freedom, to bring them the forgiveness, to bring them the grace that they need through Jesus Christ. But unless we understand our responsibility... Unless we understand that this is called to be a pursuit of ours, we will walk through life seeing people as just the others. As just other people who inhabit the same earth that we do. As just other men and women going about their business that don't really care what we have to say. And so we go about our business doing what we think we have to do, and we live these separate and disconnected life. Lives. But if we understand that God is in pursuit of people and we understand that that our pursuit is meant to be of people, well, then we start to recognize some of our identity. As a church and as individuals, we are called to be in pursuit of God and we are called to be in pursuit of his people. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said to them, I want you to go and make disciples. 
I want you to go into the world and I want you to bring my word. I want you to bring the gospel to men and women who do not know it. I want you to go out and to seek those who are hiding, to seek those who are lost. I want you to bring them to know me and to disciple them and to walk with them and to do life together with them and to show them who I am. That's an amazing thing that he said, but it wasn't a suggestion that he made. He was saying, go and do this thing. Go and make disciples. The part that I really like, though, is that he doesn't say, go and do these things and figure it out on your own. He says, go and make disciples, and I will be with you. I will be with you always. I will be with you always to the ends of the earth and the ends of the age. I am with you. God is in pursuit of people. He's called us to be in pursuit of people. And when we are in the same pursuit that God is, he is with us to equip us, to give us what we need. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed when we talk about speaking to people about Jesus because we look at our own inadequacies and we feel like I couldn't do it on my own. They don't want to hear what I have to say. I don't even know the words to say. But guess what? You're not going alone in this. You're not meant to do this on your own. This is not in your ability. Go and make disciples and I will be with you always. Sometimes though, we look at this command and we think that it's only referring to the evangelists. You know our crazy friends that like witness to people when they're at restaurants? You know the crazy people who sit on airplanes and talk to the people next to them? That don't just put in their earphones and put on a movie, but they actually look for opportunities to speak to people? Like, we think it's all up to them, the the evangelists, those who have that, like, desire to preach to people and to tell them about Jesus. But can I tell you something? It's not just meant for them. It's meant for all of us. We are all meant to be those who would preach, who would share, who would speak, who would, who would give an identity and a picture of who God is through our very lives, sometimes using words, sometimes not using words, sometimes just being an example, sometimes just praying and looking for the opportunity, but it's for all of us. All of us are meant to fulfill this call. All of us are meant to be in pursuit of what God is in pursuit of. The thing is, when we get to the end of this life, though, we're going to have to answer for how we responded to his call. We may not want to think about this. Maybe you had like culpable deniability before this moment, but but now I'm going to have to tell you what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. This is called the final judgment. The final judgment, when everything has come to an end, it says in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne, and before Him will be all the nations. And then it goes on to say in verse 34, then the King, Jesus, will say to those on His right, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now listen to the criteria that Jesus uses for those who would be given access and be granted permission to come into his kingdom. Listen to what he says, because it's not speaking to those who had the biggest church, the best worship, the best Facebook posts, the most convincing Instagram, you know, quotes and pictures that brought people. He says to them, 
For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The criteria that Jesus uses as the king for those who would enter into the kingdom was did you love those that I put in your path? Did you listen to what I called you to do? Did you follow my example? Because as you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. The righteous look at him in verse 37 and they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Sometimes it's so easy to lose sight of the simple things in life that really and truly matter. Sometimes it's so easy to look at this Christian life and to think of all of the do's and the don'ts and the things that I have to do and the life that I have to live in order to make Jesus happy when he simply says to us, when you do this unto the least of these, when you love people well, when you listen to what I've commanded you to do, when you bring them what they need and you bring the love that I have for them, when you reintroduce them to the truth of who I am, that's the thing that really matters. The church is amazing. I love our church. I love every person in our church. I want our church to grow and to expand and to have the best technology and all of those things. But we have to keep in mind what matters the most. It's our representation of Jesus on this earth that we would be the ones that take care of his people. This is what matters. I'll let you read verses 41 through 46 on your own. But it's where he turns to the other ones. And he says, basically, depart from me. You did not take care of those who were in need. He will say to them, truly I say to you, as you did not do to the least of these, you did not do to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. You see, Jesus requires something of us. He's given us everything. He is worthy of it all. And in response to his goodness, and in response to his love, we are called to live lives in pursuit of those who he is in pursuit of. We are called to walk in love. I have a feeling, though, when we get to the end of all of this, he's not just going to ask us about those that were in our church. Did we love them well? He's going to ask about that too. But he's going to ask about the people that we see on an everyday basis. Did we love them the way that he has called us to love them? So this is what I want to look at here today. I want to look at how we walk in pursuit of the king, both as a church and as individuals. I want to talk about what this looks like. What does it mean for us as a church to be in pursuit of people? And so what I've done is I've broken it up into like three levels. So if you have the notes, you can follow along. If not, we'll, we'll make sure we... I think we have them in the, in the slides. We'll have to see. But I'll tell you what they are anyway. The three levels of being in pursuit of people as a church is number one, it means that we love the people that walk into this church really, really well. 
that we start with those who are around us, that we start with the body of Christ. Number two, it means that we love the people of our community really, really well. So not just the church, but we, we grow beyond just the church and we love people that are in our cities and in our towns, in Hudson Valley, in Dutchess County, that we love the people around us really well. And then number three, level three, it means loving the people in the world as a whole really, really well. Missions and outreach, giving to those around the world. And so if we look at it on these three levels, we can see that in various places in life, in various situations, we have different responsibilities. But the first one that I want to look at today is level one. It's loving the people of our church really well. Loving the body of Christ really well. John chapter 13 verse 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We have to love those that God has put around us. We have to love those that God has brought into this church, into this house, as our family. We have to start with those who are right around us. Because he says, if people are going to know that you know me, if they're going to recognize this in you, it's because you've loved each other really well. How do we do this? Number one, we choose to build each other up instead of tearing one another down. We choose to be the biggest cheerleaders of the people around us. We choose to be the ones that encourage one another when they're going through a difficult time, that we walk with them through difficult situations of life. We choose to be there for each other. You see, these things sound really simple, but sometimes what I've noticed in the church is that we don't always do the best job of doing the simple things really well in the church. We don't always do the simple things really well in loving one another well because we know each other, because we've done life with one another, because at times we tend to walk in places of judgment, in places where we look at other people and we say, I know you're a believer, but you did this, this, and this, and we disqualify them. There are times in the church where we walk in unforgiveness, where we don't forgive one another. How can we as the body of Christ think that we are going to have an example and, and an influence on the world around us if we are not forgiving one another, which is one of the most simple things that God has called us to do. Sometimes we walk in unforgiveness and we hold judgment against each other. There, there are families at times in the church that don't even speak to one another because of an argument that they had or a disagreement that they had. And these things exist in the church, and yet we tell the world, love one another, forgive one another, look what Jesus has done for you, and yet in our own lives, we're still allowing this division to exist. We have to not just agree with what Jesus has said because we think that it sounds good. It's not enough to just agree with what Jesus has said. We have to walk out what Jesus has commanded us to do. We have to be those who are in pursuit of him in every way. See, during our Connect classes, we talk about some of our values. And one of our biggest values is number four, which is that we desire to have a culture of empowerment in our church. 
We desire to love one another well. We desire to build each other up. But we can't do that if we're constantly looking at the sin and the shortcoming and the failures of others and not walking in the grace and the forgiveness that God has called us to walk in. Value number five is that we value our community, that we want to build a community that is a safe place for others to come into. Number seven is that we walk in compassion, that we love one another well. You see, we want to be those who create a safe place for the world to come in because we want to create a healthy culture. Because what we want to do is we don't want to just build a church for the here and now. We want to build a church that is a safe place for the community to come into. For the men and women that when we go out and we love people well, that we have a safe place to bring them back into. That we have a place where we know that they're going to be welcomed and they're going to be loved and they're going to be shown the love and the acceptance of Jesus Christ. But we have to start here first. We have to start with our church family first. We need to get things in order. So that when people walk in, and, I, and this is not picking on anyone in particular, because we have some amazing men and women who love so well in this church. We have men and women in this church that I would send any one of my friends, believers or unbelievers to, because I know that they would be treated well with love and respect. But we just have to make sure that we are keeping that standard in each one of our lives, that we would be the ones that when people come to us, that they don't see us first, but they see Jesus. It's great to do that and to love one another really well. But once again, it's in preparation for those who are not here yet. You know, I really do believe that this church is meant to grow. It's meant to have the doors open for people of our community to walk into. Do you know that we have 300,000 people living in Dutchess County? 300,000 people. You know, I am ambitious enough to want... I know we can't fit 300,000 in here, but I want a lot of them. I want a lot of them to come into this church. I, I love when believers come into the church. I love when Christians come to worship with us. But you know what I really want to see? I want to see people who have never met Jesus before, who have never given their lives to him to walk into these doors and to learn about him and to experience him and to see who he is. But I want them to do that before they ever even get to the sanctuary. I want men and women to come from the community because somebody invited them to church. They finally said, okay, I'm coming. And when they walk through the doors that they feel the love of Jesus. Can we do that as a church? Can we have that as our pursuit, that we are in pursuit of people? That when we see someone come in the doors that we don't know, that we've never met before, that we go up and maybe we give them a hug. I mean, I'm a New Yorker, I'm Italian, I like giving hugs. Some people don't like hugs so much, so maybe just a handshake, maybe just a smile. But that when they come through the doors, that when we see them for the first time, that we're loving them really well. We got some other huggers in here. That's a good thing. Ernie's like, I'm, I'm a hugger. We got to hug people. We got to love on people. We need to do this. We need to be those who would welcome people into our doors, people from our community, that they would come to know Jesus here. All right, let's just move on to the, the people side of this as individuals. So as a church, we want to love our church really well. We want to love the people in our church really well. What does this look like as individuals? It means that we start with our home first. 
that we love our families really well. That we love our moms and our dads and our sons and our daughters and our husbands and our wives and our cousins and our uncles and our aunts and our, our nephews and, and, you know, the uncle that was twice removed by marriage and all those other things. That we love our family really well. For some of us, this is really easy. For some of us, this is more difficult than loving the stranger on the street. But we are called to love our family well. And, and maybe this isn't even someone that you're related to by blood. Maybe this is just somebody who is in your life that you're very close to. We need to start by loving the people in our life really, really well. Level two, we need to love our friends and our coworkers really well. And level three, we need to love those outside of our circles. Strangers, people we've never met, people that we're waiting in line with at the grocery store, Red Sox fans even, sometimes, depending. No? Okay, no Red Sox fans? All right, they're off the list. We need to love the people on the airplanes with the crying babies that we wish they would just shut up and could they, can they shut that kid up? We need to love everybody except for the people that drive 30 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone. We, I don't know if we can love them. Those, them and Red Sox fans are really tough. I was stuck behind somebody on the way to church today. And it was a 45, and we were doing like 27 miles an hour. And I was like, can we please just speed up just a little bit? But yes, maybe we're even supposed to love them too. Love our family, love our friends and coworkers, love those outside. Basically, in short, we need to love everybody. But let's just break it down a little bit. All right, what does it mean to love family? Let's start with a big one. Let's start with marriage. Spouses, yesterday we had our, our 2B1 couples uh, barbecue, and it was a great time, and, and I had a great time being able to spend time with these couples. We have some couples in this church that have been married over 50 years. It's incredible. It's amazing. I mean, I was just so blown away to hear that. We've got couples in this church that have been married for one year and a little bit. We have couples that are going to be married like in a month from now. We've got couples across the spectrum, and it's amazing. Married couples. And, and so I think it's so amazing that we have those, but we have to know that it's so important that we love our spouses well, that we respect one another, that we love unselfishly even when it's difficult, that we build each other up, and that we show the world what it is to live out a kingdom marriage. That we show the world what it is to walk in marriage where we're not talking about our spouse behind their back. Where we're not joking with our friends and, and talking about how bad a cook our wife is. I can make that example because my wife's an amazing cook. But that we are like building each other up all the time. We need to be those who bring God into the center of our relationship. It can be so difficult at times. But I think that a Christian kingdom marriage should look a lot different than every other marriage. Do you agree? I think that a kingdom marriage should show something different to the world around us. All right, the next one, for parents, I want to encourage you to love your children really well, to understand the significance of what it means to raise men and women, young men and women, children, and to teach them the ways of God. I want to encourage you to remember how quickly it all goes. I want to remind you to pray with them, to pray for them, to teach them, to walk through life with them. I think for grandparents, this is really easy. I don't need to remind you of this, but for parents, especially parents of young children and maybe teenagers, I don't have a teenager yet, so I don't know what that's like, but to continue to love them really well, 
to invest in their lives, to realize that we are called to love all people. But I would say that first and foremost, our first ministry is to our spouses and to our children. Our first ministry, our first priority is loving our spouse and our children. We have to realize the importance of this. We have to love like Jesus loves, even when it's really, really tough. And for the spouses in here that tend to be a little bit selfish, that tend to look for your own needs first, speaking to myself at times, that tend to want to turn on the Yankee game instead of spending time in the kitchen doing the dishes, do better, okay? Just, just do a little bit better. That's all I'm asking of you. Do better. I, I don't say statements like that very often, but sometimes can we just say that? Amen. Just do better. When we go home today, can we just try to do better? Nobody, nobody likes that. People online, I know that you guys are cheering and applauding and saying, amen, Pastor Sam. That's a great message. Sometimes we don't have to over-spiritualize it. Sometimes just do better. And when you can't do better, ask for the grace of God. Okay, let's bring that in there. Let's make it a little, it's practical, but also let's bring in God into it. Do better and ask God for help. That wasn't in my notes today. Just wanted to throw that out there. I know often that in in families there are hurts, pains, wounds, challenges all over the place. That sometimes loving our family can be the most difficult. That sometimes there are feuds and issues that have gone on for years and decades and hurts and everything else. But I truly believe that if we are going to pursue people, that if we are going to love like Jesus, we have to start with our families. We have to start with those closest to us. We have to ask God to give us the ability to forgive, to love, to walk in restoration, to to allow God to bring healing. Let's start there and give the world an amazing example of what it is to walk in love and forgiveness and wholeness. I know it's not always easy, but a lot of things that God asks us to do are not very easy. So let's not just cast this one away and, and pretend like it doesn't exist. Love your families well. I want to ask if the worship team would come up here this morning as we come to a close. When we talk about loving people, I don't want this to be understated. We're talking about one of the most important things that we could ever do. It's so easy at times to just go through life and to stay with like our blinders on and to only think about the things that, that we think matter and the things that we're after and the things that, that we have a high value for. But I want to ask that this week, and we're going to continue to talk about this in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at level two and level three. But I want to ask that you would look for opportunities to love people well this week. That you would even ask God for opportunities to love people well, to start at home, to start with spouses, to start with children, to start with friends, to start with the people that you care about, parents and, and everyone in between. I know that every family looks a little different, but ask that God would give you the grace that you need to love really, really well. Let's make that a decision together as a church. God, I want to choose to love really well in simple ways and extravagant ways that I would be one that when we get to the end of this life 
and Jesus stands before us and we come before him, that we would be those that he would say that when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When, when I was naked, you clothed me. You came, you visited, you were with me. Allow God, allow the Holy Spirit to direct us in these places so that we can be obedient to him. So that as a church, we would be known for a few things. But number one, our love for God. But number two, our love for people. That we would love people really, really, really well. If we could only be known for two things, those would be the most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself.